And let's pray before we hear God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is the power by which the Lord Jesus rules his church. And we pray that as we read it and as I preach from it now, you may so work in each of us that it may be as if it was the Lord Jesus Christ preaching here. We pray that we would see and hear the Saviour and that we would be transformed by him. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 7. We're going to read from verse 1. Speaking of Jesus, it says, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority and with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you. Not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nine, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples, 
to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And, the, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out into the wilderness to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. When all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptised with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptised by him. Well, we're going to focus this morning particularly on Luke 7, verse 23. But we'll be referencing a little bit more widely, hence we've read some, we've read some of the surrounding verses for the context. What is going on here? John the Baptist is in prison. Uh, we read earlier a section from Luke chapter 3 where we heard of John's ministry but we heard that it ended with him being arrested. John the Baptist had prepared the way for Jesus. He said that Jesus was coming. And then he was put in prison. And now here, in prison, awaiting execution, he hears the news about Jesus' ministries. He hears about these incredible miracles. Someone healed from a distance. You can't fake that. That's no smoke and mirrors, healing someone remotely. And someone raised from the dead during their funeral. Incredible things. But John hears this sitting in prison, awaiting execution. 
And as we think about this passage this morning, as we think particularly about what Jesus says to John at this moment, we're going to consider faithfulness to Christ and what it means to have a blessed life, that is, a good life. We're going to look at that under three headings. We're going to see, firstly, that faithfulness may look like failure. Faithfulness may look like failure. Secondly, that faithfulness will lead to blessing. Faithfulness will lead to blessing. And then thirdly, we will hear the challenge to be faithful even unto death. Be faithful unto death. Well, to begin, faithfulness may look like failure. Faithfulness may look like failure. We read earlier on from Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3 and verse 2, the word of God came to John. John the Baptist, he went into the wilderness preaching and he knew with absolute certainty that he was doing God's will. He had the command. The word of God came to John. This was not someone who decided to be a preacher. This was not someone who who thought, this is a good idea, maybe I'll do this. No, he had a direct word from God, and he obeyed it. And to begin with, it seemed to go really well. As we read in Luke chapter 3, large crowds came to him. Many, many people, uh, some who were sympathetic to his message and some who weren't. But enormous numbers flocked to John. Large numbers were baptised by him. Uh, People said to him, what should we do? As they realised under his preaching that they were not right with God, they asked him how they should respond. They listened to him challenge them to repent, challenge them to change, challenge them to live differently. They listened to him saying that someone greater is coming. But John was faithful when it was apparently easy, when people wanted to hear, but also when it was not so easy and when people did not want to hear. He presented his message of coming judgment and of the need for change to everyone, to the crowds who were interested, uh, to the religious leaders who weren't. And even to Herod the Tetrarch, the local ruler, who did not want to hear John's message. Even facing down against a man with the authority to have him put in prison or killed, John was faithful. He was faithful to the word that he had been given from God. And so he told Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And so John in his faithfulness, ends up in prison. His faithfulness looks like failure. And it's the case for many others. It's the case for many Christians through history. I'm sure it's been the case at times in your life that doing the right thing can seem to end badly. It doesn't take much reading in church history to find many who have died for the faith. 
was thinking recently of William Tyndale. Now, some people wrongly think he was the first man to translate any of the Bible into English. He wasn't, but he was the first man to take an English New Testament to a printing press to enable mass distribution of it. And he was killed for doing that. He died. He didn't actually see the the result of his work. A Bible in English was in every basically every population centre in England by the end of the year because of his work. But he died early in the year. He never saw it. To a much simpler, much more modern example, many street preachers find themselves heckled, find themselves uh, looked down on, considered to be outdated, considered to be nasty and unpleasant people. Uh, Some are arrested Um, Normally, they seem to end up being acquitted, and they don't end end up with any lasting uh, criminal charges. Uh, But you can go street preaching, you can go out trying to speak of Christ, and it can go badly. It's very rare to have people say they they want to become a Christian as we go out sharing the gospel today. A totally different topic, perhaps... You or someone you know have see, has seen something immoral, something wrong happening at work. And you've tried to make a stand for the right. You've tried to blow the whistle to say this shouldn't be being done. Or your friend has. And they've been punished. Sometimes businesses prefer to get rid of the person who's noticed the problem than fix the problem. People do the right thing and it can end badly. And that's what happened to John. He did the right thing, and the result looked like failure. He said to Herod, you need to repent, and Herod put him in prison. And later on, Herod had him killed. That's the backdrop. That's the context for what's going on then in Luke 7. In Luke 7, verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John's disciples, people who had been committed to his teaching, people who had heard his message of repentance, people who'd heard him say that a greater one, that Jesus, is coming, well, they've now gone to visit John in prison and said, this man, Jesus, he's raised the dead. This man, Jesus, he's healed people from, the, from a distance. No one's done that before. And then, it's a difficult thing to think about, though. For John to have had his ministry of preparing the way for Jesus, and now Jesus seems to be here, but John's in prison, and he's going to be killed. There is some disagreement what prompts John's question. So verse 19 John calls two of his disciples and he sends them to the Lord. He sends them to Jesus saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Is it that John is doubting? Is John, having been faithful, his faithfulness looking now like failure, is he doubting? Is he thinking, perhaps I was wrong? Maybe this man isn't Jesus. Maybe this Jesus isn't the Messiah, isn't the one who was coming, isn't the one I said, would baptise people with the Holy Spirit and fire. But John baptised Jesus and heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. 
Is John doubting? Maybe. It's been a long time and things seem to be going badly. Or, another option, is it his disciples who are doubting? Those men who've come to him reporting the news. They were so sure John was a prophet from God, his ministry so successful, and he talked about this other man, but John's here in prison. How's it gone so wrong? Does John send them to Jesus for their benefit? Well, I don't know the answer to that question. Either is possible. The text does not actually tell us. But the fact is that when things go badly, when we do the right thing and it seems to end in failure, whether that's speaking up about something that's wrong at work, whether that is sharing the gospel with someone, whether it's refusing uh, to do something your family asks you to do that's wrong, whatever it is, when you do the right thing and you face rejection for it, it can lead to doubts. It can cause you to think, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe the truth isn't the truth. Or sometimes when life just seems so ordinary, when we hear such wonderful things about Jesus, when we think about how incredible it's meant to be to be a Christian, but then you have day in, day out, go to work, eat, drink, sleep, look after your children. It can just seem so ordinary. You can just forget these things. It can get drained out of you. And you can think, is Jesus really the one who was to come? Is he really what it's all about? Or do we need to look for something else? So as we look at John sitting in prison, as we look at his disciples reporting to him about Jesus, I think we should consider how and when have we doubted? When have we been faithful but had it look like failure? When have we found life too ordinary or too bad and thought, is Jesus really all that? I think sometimes we also forget what Jesus' life looked like. We praise this man as our Lord and our God. But what sort of life did he lead? Yes, he has his moments. He does his mighty miracles. Yes, he has many crowds listen to him. But where is it going to go? He's going to be rejected by the rulers and authorities. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be spat on. He's going to be beaten. And he's going to be crucified. Just as John's faithfulness looked like failure, Jesus' faithfulness is going to many to end up looking like failure as he suffers, as he's rejected, as he dies. When Jesus calls us to follow him, actually we should expect a life that's not always so easy, a life that's not always so comfortable. He's, he calls us elsewhere in the scriptures to take up our cross and follow him. That means to walk the path of suffering like he walked to walk the path of faithfulness that may look like failure. As we think briefly there of the death of Christ, of the suffering of Christ, it's worth pausing to ask, are you trusting in Christ as the one who suffered and died? 
It's not the focus of this passage, but it is the central point of the Christian message that none of us can come to God on our own, that each of us have sinned, have rebelled against God, that we live in a fallen and broken world, and that God welcomes us back to him, not by us climbing up a ladder, not by us making ourselves good enough, but because Jesus lived the perfect life we should have lived, because Jesus has died the death that we deserve to die, and because Jesus as we'll think about a little bit later on, has walked out of the grave, has risen from the dead, has overcome death. And it's, so, it's not by being good enough yourself, but by trusting in him that we can know God, that we can have hope for the future, which we'll think about more in a moment. So it's worth pausing to reflect at this point. Have you admitted that you are not good enough for God? Are you trusting in Christ, the one, that su- the one who suffered? Are you sure of eternal life through him? But if you are, as you are, think for a moment. His life, his faithfulness looked like failure. And so if your faithfulness looks like failure, if your life does not feel as good, as exciting, as joyful as you'd like it to be, that might be exactly right. Just like John went to prison, just like Jesus died, many who follow him, Many who are faithful will for a while look like failures. Faithfulness may look like failure. But moving on, faithfulness will lead to blessing. Faithfulness will lead to blessing. At that moment when John's disciples came to Jesus, we read in verse 21, In that hour he, that's Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. Uh, They come to seek encouragement from Jesus. And what do they see? They see mighty miracles. There's encouragement to be had. I think it's worth thinking just for a moment here, whenever you are doubting, whenever you are struggling, whenever you are wondering, is this Jesus all I thought he was? Come to him with that. Just as John sends his disciples to Jesus with that and they receive great encouragement immediately. Come to Jesus with your doubts. Come to Jesus with your struggles. But what answer does Jesus give to these men to take back to John when they ask the question? Verse 22, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He doesn't tell John, you're going to be released from prison. He doesn't tell John, I'm here to defeat Herod. But there's something else that the people hearing that for the first time would have thought that you might not think. People hoping for a Messiah to come back then would have known Isaiah very well. And in Jesus' answer here, he's drawing on two passages of Isaiah. He's referencing Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. We're not going to go and look at them now, but I just want to highlight one significant point that would have stood out to everyone hearing Jesus say, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. 
to illustrate this, I'll give you two examples. Something comes immediately into your mind if I say, God save the king. You're thinking of some more words very quickly at that point. You're thinking, why did I stop there? Something comes immediately into your mind if I say to you, for God so loved the world that, and then I stop. You're thinking of some more words. You're wondering, why did I stop there? In both Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, which Jesus alludes to in his answer to John, reading on finds promises of judgment on those who oppress God's people. Reading on finds promises of liberty to the captives. But Jesus stops. He doesn't mention those points. And so everyone standing there, everyone hearing what Jesus says in verse 22 is going to have in their mind, why didn't he mention the judgment? Why didn't he mention the liberty? It leaves the question to everyone. If this is the one that Isaiah prophesied, and he's saying he is, when's the judgment coming? When's the liberty for the captives? When are God's people going to be publicly vindicated? When will faithfulness clearly and publicly lead to blessing? Jesus doesn't say. He leaves it hanging in the air, the unstated point. By, by referencing Isaiah, he effectively makes the promise that it will happen, but then he doesn't say when. And he clearly does not say now. Instead, he says, blessed is the one who's not offended at me. As those who trust Christ, as those who are waiting for that blessing from God, waiting for that judgment day when we will be declared to be in the right if we're trusting Christ, when every blessing we can imagine will follow. We don't know when it will be. But we are promised that blessed is the one who is not offended at me, as Jesus says. So blessed is the one who is not ashamed by Jesus' message. Blessed is the one who does what's right even when it's hard, even when it means suffering. Blessed is the one who holds to all of Jesus' teaching, even the parts that will get you in trouble, like John did before Herod. Blessed is the one who seemingly fails now, the one who ends up in prison for the faith, the one who is rejected for the faith, the one who is unpopular for the faith. This one is blessed That's what Jesus promises. It may not look like that. It may look like failure, but Jesus says it's blessing. Jesus says it's blessing because God is able to work all things for good, because that judgment will come. He's left it hanging in the air by stopping the quote early. That judgment will come. And so the one whose life might look like failure now, that one is blessed. I wonder, are you tempted to be offended by Jesus? Are you tempted to be offended when Jesus says that you're a sinner? 
when Jesus says that you're not good enough for God. That's part of Jesus' message. Our society tells us to believe in ourselves. Jesus says, believe in him. You're tempted to be offended when Jesus tells you to say no to living for this life. When Jesus tells you that you're meant to value him above family, children, career or wealth. Our society tells us to live for those things. Jesus says no. We're meant to live for him. We're meant to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. That means we're meant to put God before family, before children, before career, before wealth, before comfort. Are you tempted to be offended when Jesus says that? Are you tempted to be offended when Jesus challenges you to say no to many pleasures that our culture celebrates and affirms? When Jesus tells you to say no to what our culture says about things like sexuality and gender, views that can get you in a lot of trouble in our culture, are you tempted to be offended at what Jesus says? Are you tempted to be offended when Jesus challenges you to value all life and hence to oppose things like euthanasia and abortion? Are you tempted to be offended at Jesus? It can be very unpopular to hold to all that Jesus says. It can be very unpopular to stick to the truth like John did before Herod. It can get you in a lot of trouble. But Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not offended at me. Because that judgment day will come. Because the truth will come out. Because the, what you did when it was right, when it wasn't easy, one day will be known. And that leads us into our last point. Be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death. That's those words of Jesus in verse 23. Blessed is the one who is not offended at me. Those were the last message that John heard from Jesus before he died. In verse 24, it begins by saying that John's messengers had gone before Jesus carried on speaking. John, in prison, hears from Jesus, yes, I am the one, and you're blessed if you're not offended at me, but you're going to stay in prison and you're going to die for having done what's right. John, you're going to be beheaded for being faithful. You're going to be beheaded because you were not offended at me. You're going to have your last days away from the crowds, away from the success, in prison, looked at as a failure by most people. John, that's what your blessing looks like at the moment. That's what being the man who has stood for God looks like right now. And that is the comfort John is given. That's all he's given. You're blessed, John, as you sit in that prison cell, as you await the executioner, as the world thinks of you as a failure. You are blessed. He's left without what comes next. After John's messengers left, what does Jesus say that John did not hear in this life? The Lord Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth, God himself come in the flesh after the messengers had gone. The words that John would not hear. Verse 26. A prophet, yes I tell you, and more than a prophet. This, 
John, that is, is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. The Lord Jesus, God come in the flesh, tells the crowds that that John is the best man ever. But John doesn't hear those words. He's waiting in prison. He's waiting to die. As a Christian, when you're faithful, when you suffer for, what's doing, for doing what's right, perhaps no one will tell you how good it was that you did that. Perhaps no one in this life will highlight the value of the stand that you took. But John, after his death, when he entered heaven, he would hear those words that Jesus said of him. He would hear that he was a blessed man, that he was, in the words of the very Son of God, the greatest man ever, the one that no one born of woman, no person ever born has been better than. And more than that, verse 29 when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptised with the baptism of John. Here are people who John had preached to, and they now, in response to Jesus' words, declare God to be just. They say, they say that God is right, they praise God. I think this is saying they very clearly become believers. This is massive fruit from John's ministry. Here is an enormous number of conversions. But John didn't see that. John's still in prison. John's about to be executed. When he reached heaven, John will have heard that he was thought of so highly by the Son of God. John will have heard that his ministry had massive fruit. But he faced death in this life with before he heard that, before he knew that. I don't know why this is the pattern that the Christian life can follow, but it often is. It was the pattern of John's life. And it might be the pattern of your life. Perhaps you will seek to do many things that are good and right. Perhaps you will share the gospel with many people and never see a result. Perhaps you will spend hours over your life even equivalent of days, months, years over your life, praying. Praying for wonderful things to happen and never hear the answers in this life. Perhaps you will tell the truth about some evil thing that's happening. You will st take a stand for what's right and you'll suffer for it. People won't want to know. Perhaps you'll take a moral stand on an issue our culture is doing what's wrong on. And you'll suffer for it. People won't want to know. People will reject you. Perhaps you'll lose a friend or you'll break a relationship in order to carry on being faithful to Christ. And perhaps in all of these things you will see no good result in this life. Perhaps your faithfulness will look like failure. But faithfulness will lead to blessing. 
because the Lord Jesus values our faithfulness. We don't become Christians by being good enough. We don't become Christians by taking these sorts of stands. But as we do what's right, we show the world that we belong to Jesus. We show the world that he is our Lord. We show the world that we're trusting in him rather than this world. And so Jesus will praise us as he praised John. Jesus will speak highly of us. Jesus will say to us in the words from elsewhere in scripture, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and taste your master's delight. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Jesus says to Christians facing persecution, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus says to John, blessed is the one who is not offended at me. John received that crown of life. He was welcomed into heaven. He heard, well done, good and faithful servant. He heard then that his ministry had been greatly used by God. And we too can look forward to the day that God will welcome us into heaven, that God will approve of us. That God will speak highly of us. We too can look forward to the approval of our Lord. Everyone who is faithful to Christ, even unto death, will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And that has been the experience of many Christians down through history who have suffered for the faith, who have carried on when it seemed like failure, that they now are experiencing infinite delight in heaven. And if we cling to Jesus, if we are faithful, even when it looks like failure, if we are faithful even unto death, that will be our experience too. So Christian... Faithfulness may look like failure, but faithfulness will lead to blessing because the Lord Jesus Christ himself will value you as you are faithful to him. And so, Christian, be faithful unto death and he will give you the crown of life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can know when life does not seem to go the way we wish, when life seems like failure, when faithfulness looks like failure, we can know that we are blessed in you. Please help each of us to be faithful unto death. Thank you for the promise of the crown of life. Amen.